thank you for the day. We thank you for the chance to bless and honor your name through music. And we thank you, God, for the songwriters, those that have put to words our hearts, God. And, and we want to magnify and glorify. We want to sing of your praise, sing of your mercy and your grace, O oh God. And so we're grateful. We ask, God, that this Bible study would be a blessing um, to those that are hearing it. Uh, here in this place or even on the web, Lord, that uh, that hearts and lives would be changed, Lord. And I pray that uh, through the power of your spirit that you would move over our hearts, that this word would, would penetrate and do the work that you would want it to do, that we might draw closer to you, that we might look more like you, oh God. You're so good to us, Lord. We want to live for you. We want to stop living for the world and live for you wholeheartedly. Teach us your ways, oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. That really was and is the or was the 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 thrust initially of the letter in the book of, in the, in the book of First Corinthians the the idea that the church was established by the apostle Paul and he had set them on a trajectory to draw closer to God and somewhere along the way they decided that the world's ways looked better and so they started to introduce the wisdom that was so prevalent among them, among the Corinth culture, back into the church. They were pulling in the world's ways and the world's motives and the world's desire back into the church. And now Paul is hearing of this and writing a letter back to them to say, why? Why, why would you want to do that? You're, you're just you're, you're aiming too low, is what he's saying. You're 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 you know you're desiring to 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 put yourself in the mud puddle when when God is offering you the the mountaintop. And so he's 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 encouraging them rather strongly, forcefully to say, stop it. Stop doing that. I, when I came to you, he says, I, I, I had one message. I had one story. I had one thing I wanted to tell you, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so he says, how about you get back to that? How about you, 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 you get back to that foundation? Let's start there again and, and build again, shall we? And so that's really what the letter is doing, is, is slowly drawing them back to that foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and then trying to build them up again. And so we're at chapter 3 tonight, another, another strong chapter, probably one that you've read before, or at least have heard parts of. Uh, wood, hay, and stubble, gold, silver, precious jewels, that's in this chapter. And, uh, and so uh, building on the foundation of Christ, that's kind of where we're headed tonight. But what we started last week that we're going to finish in the beginning of chapter 3 is, is Paul is describing three different types of people. The first one he, he said was the natural man. And the natural man is the what you and I today would call the unsaved. It's those that are living in the world and don't know any different. And so that's the natural man, those that are, are, are not set on the spiritual things. The second that he talked about, as we talked about it last week, was the spiritual. So we have the natural, the, those after the world, and then the spiritual. And those would be the saved, those that are, 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 are saved and led by the Spirit and, and following the ways of God. And now he's going to introduce the third type, which is a carnal person, different than natural, different than spiritual. We're going to learn about what it means to be a carnal person, okay? So that's where we're starting now in verse 1, chapter 3. Let's read. 
He says to them and to us, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And so he introduces this new term. uh, He's saying, I have to speak to you as carnal people, different than natural, different than spiritual, third third type of person. So what is that? Well, that would be a person that should be spiritual, but are rather worldly, or are rather fleshly. And you may have heard the term before. Well, and this is kind of where we get it from. Well, they're just being a carnal Christian. They're being a carnal Christian. And, and many would argue, and, and probably rightfully so, how could you do that? How could you be a carnal Christian chasing after the lusts of this world and, 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 and still say that you're a Christian? But that's exactly what Paul calls them here in verse 1. First of all, he says, um, and I, brethren. Well, you don't say that to a non-believer. A non-believer is not a brother. And he says to them, brethren, you are brethren. I'm going to call you carnal here in a second, but you are brethren is what he says. And, and you, but you are living as carnal as to what, what does it say at the end of the verse? Babes in Christ. And so these are saved people that have stepped away. Not, no, forgive me. I don't want to use that terminology that have set their mind or their minds have rather rather than set they have slipped to the world again they have their their focus has been changed from the things of the spiritual to the things of the world and so he says that's where i had to that's where i have to address you corinth you, you you're so engaged in the culture and you're so wrapped up in the way you want the church to look like culture that i have to i can't address you even as spiritual I have to address you as carnal. And he he wants to draw them away from that. He said in verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. I like that. Uh, That's kind of a backhanded compliment. (laughs) He, He says, I, I, you know, I did my job, is what he's saying. I, I, you guys were babes in Christ, and what do you feed a baby? You don't, you don't throw a, a T-bone in front of a, a child that has no teeth, do you? Unless you want to see, you know, have some fun. But my mom tells a story of when I was an infant that she had eaten an entire steak, and, and there was the T-bone left, just the bone. And she gave it to me, and I chewed on it for an hour, because I, I liked the taste of meat, and I just couldn't have we did that with KK? I don't even remember that. But Well, there you go. That's why she turned out so well. But uh, <laughs> Just because we fed her. No. But, but when, you're, when you're trying to nurture and, and give a baby nutrition, you, you don't throw a steak in front of them and hope they might gain some nutrition. You, you start with milk. You start with uh, on the, the simple thing, the... the, the it's all the same thing. It's all nutrition, be it steak or be it milk. It's all the same word. It's all the same message, the gospel, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But sometimes you have to simplify it. I couldn't go back to one of our Sunday school classes, say the second grade boys, and you know, explain to them the, the doctrine of atonement uh, on, a, on a collegiate level. That would be silly. 
That would be a waste of my time and my breath, and, and, and they would gain nothing from it either. And so you have to start with milk, and you have to start simply, and that's what Paul said I did. But what he says is, that's what I started you with, and by now you should be on to meat. By now you should be on the meat of the word, but we're not there yet. Kind of that backhanded compliment, more of an insult perhaps, just to say, it's time to grow up. We, we consider it a, a difficult thing, a, a hardship, a, um, a sadness when we learn of a, a child that is born with deficiencies, with, with retardations. We, that, that's not the normal and that's not the way we'd hope things would be. And so they, they grow up more slowly they, they, or, or maybe never even fully mature. And I would say what's even more of a travesty is when Christians do that, when they, when they stay retarded, when they, when they say, I'm content on the milk of the Word. I'm content just knowing the very basics. I'm content just being here and, and enjoying, you know, uh, I call it... I'm going to step on some toes. Forgive me. CCM, Contemporary Christian Music, yes. I say CCM stands for Cheesy Christian Music because most of it is. And, and, and most of it is, is pop psychology that is all about you. Start, start considering what you're putting into your ears, those that, the songs that they call Christian that speak more about you than about God are, are not Christian. Okay? Um, but cheesy Christian music, um, if that's your um, entire diet, you're, you're living on milk. And so, and we have a culture around us, and I'm not saying Calvary Chapel has fought against that tooth and nail since day one, since Calvary was, was established. We're here to teach the Word. We're here to stand on the Word and continually teach the Word. But the culture around us, the church culture around us, predominantly feasts on the milk of the Word, and that's enough for them. And Paul's saying, there's so much more. Press in, learn, become studious, make this your priority. Leverage everything you have to understand and to know the Word of God. There's nothing more important. You're not going to take your knowledge of rocket science to heaven. God's got all that figured out already, and you're not going to teach Him anything. And so while it will gain you something here, a paycheck, and that's a good thing, the things that we take into heaven are the things that you have sitting in your lap in the Word of God. And so there's nothing more important than that book, than the author of that book. But that book tells us how to know the author. And so we leverage everything we have to gain knowledge in Christ, to grow up in Him, to mature in Him, to move on from milk to meat. Stop being babes. Don't stay spiritually retarded. May we make efforts to grow in that. And so he calls them carnal. And now in verse 3, we, we see why he decides to call them carnal. His proof of carnality. He says, you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 
For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? That's interesting. This goes back to the argument or the, the, the thing that he introduced back in chapter one, that there were divisions among them saying, some saying that I'm of, of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Jesus, I'm the real holy one, I'm of Jesus. And he's saying, stop it. That's, that's proof of carnality that there be divisions among you. That there, there, there are some that want to be in this clique. What did we hate about high school? The cliques. And here we have them in the church at Corinth. Here we have them in the church in America. Here they have them in our church. The thing we hated. I can't hang out with the jocks. I can't hang out with the, the, the cheerleaders and the, and the popular crowd because I, I wear glasses and I'm overweight or I've got acne or I've got, you know, issues. And that's what causes anxiety and, and frustration in a, in a young man or woman's life. Paul's saying, why would you introduce that? If that's what you hated about high school, if that's what you hated about the world, why would you bring that into church and say, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Paul? He's like, that's your proof of carnality, that you have divisions among you, that you think your group is better than other groups. That the, the part that you're a part of is, is grander or, or greater than other groups. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. That there is division is of the flesh. And really what it boils down to is, it, is it, what causes division is pride. It's, it's you saying, I want to be part of this group because this guy's got the, 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 the fast track to success to worldly success, to popularity more likely. And so I want to be a part of that group and I, I, I want to be above everybody else and I want to look better than everybody else. And so I'll be a part of his group because he's on the fast track. It's pride. Pride causes division. C.S. Lewis would say pride is at the root of all sin. You could look at any sin out there and eventually you get back to the root of it and there's pride involved. And so much of today's culture is all about building up pride. They call it self-esteem, but it's pride. And we're not... That creates division. And Paul's saying, stop it. Stop it. I'm of this school, and I'm of that school, and I went here, and I, I'm a, you know, this is my alma mater. And, and you know what? I do it. In my life, I do it. Well, this is my favorite pastor. Man, if I could be in his church. Oh, I really like this guy. And here's how you can tell. you got pride issues. Here's how I can tell. When I go to listen to Matt Chandler, my favorite pastor right now, the guy I love so much out of, out of the Village Church in Texas, when I go to listen to him and see what he taught on Sunday and there was a guest speaker speaking, I don't listen. It's pride. Because it's the same Word of God. And God has convicted me so many times on that. I'm of the Matt Chandlers. Need to repent. All division stems from pride. 
Paul goes on to say in verse 5, Who then is Paul? Who am I? Who then is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. So now Paul is saying, stop the division. Who, who's Paul? Who, who is Apollos? They are merely instruments in the hands of God. They are, are merely vessels being used of the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit as the Lord gave to each one. Paul is merely a servant. Apollos is merely a servant. He's going to go on to say that they're one. That, that they're just instruments in the hands of the Almighty God. And so we don't set up shop in their camp. We don't, we don't say we're affiliated with them. The Lord gives to each one. We don't build men up. He says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. As we go out, and Michelle and I, we, we try to have a garden every year. <laughs> we try. <laughs> and most often we get overwhelmed with, you know, going to Ethiopia and whatever, and, and so a hundred other things happen. But we, you know, gained some, we, we had potatoes this year. That was really cool for one meal. We had potatoes. <laughs> Wait, we had a tomato the other day. Just, you know. And it's not pretty, but that's okay. We get, we get a little bit, okay? The point being in that as we go out to plant and to water, we put the seed in the soil and we cover it up and we, we till the soil and we do the work and we put the seed in the ground and then we come and, and routinely water it. But Michelle and I have nothing to do with the plant growing. We, we can't force that. We can't make it happen. We can't hope that it happens. We, we, can't, we, can't, we can fertilize the dirt and we can, we can add things to it, but we can't make it become a tomato plant. God is the one that gives the increase, even in our garden, but more so in the life of a Christian. Paul's saying, I, I planted. Apollos watered. He came in after me and, and he watered what I planted. But that you grew into anything, church, that you became anything, is not a work of he or I. It's a work of, work of God. So stop saying, oh, I'm with the planter. Or I'm with the waterer. Because it could be at the next venture, the planter is now the waterer. The waterer is now the planter. Or, I, don't, I don't believe that this is an indication of spiritual gifts. I don't believe that, that as you look at this Scripture, it's, it's you know, God telling you, well, you're called to be a planter, and all you do for the rest of your life is Johnny Appleseed, you go plant those seeds. Singing the song along the way. And then somebody's going to come behind you and, and you know what? You're a waterer. You don't ever get to plant seeds. You just come along and you take where other people have planted and you water them. I don't think that's the case at all. Because I think we're called to do both. And when you see a seed that's been planted, you water it. 
as you engage that. And when you see where there's a need for a seed, you put it in. And then you hope somebody comes behind and waters. And so he's saying, I'm not just a planter, and Apollos is not just a waterer. It may be that we're in different positions tomorrow. And so why value those things? Because we're just doing what we're called to do. It's God. It's all about God. God brings the harvest. God brings the produce. God makes the thing happen. God causes the plant to grow. It's nothing that we do. So there's no need for pride. There's no need to set up camp in my camp. Because it's all God. Verse 7 says, So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Reiterating the same thing, reiterating the same thing in verse six, from verse 6. It's not the planter. It's not the waterer. It's, it's God that does, brings the increase. And this is, this is Paul's way of saying what Jesus has said and what Peter has said at various times. If you are called to plant, if you are called to water in a moment, if you are, are, are stepping up and serving the body of Christ or even those that might come into the body of Christ, the way you do that is through servant leadership. That's the Jesus style. Is that we, as leaders, we serve. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm just a waterer. I'm just a planter. We are, we are of no consequence. Neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. They, they are insignificant in the grand scheme of anything. They are merely there as servants. This is the capital A apostle. The one that's written probably about half of the New Testament, maybe even more. Pretty important guy in the kingdom of God. And he's saying, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. He's humbled himself and he's saying, it's all God. All the glory goes to him. All the praise goes to him. Whenever I've been attending Calvary Chapel pastor's conferences for years and years and years, and to a T at almost every one of them, somebody will say what Pastor Chuck taught to the pastor so many years ago. There are three things you don't touch as a pastor. There are three things you don't touch as a pastor. And that's the gold, the girls, and the glory. Easy to remember, three Gs. And he said, as a Calvary Chapel pastor, that's what you need to remember. You don't touch the gold. You don't get involved in, the, in, in meddling with the money. And, and you stay away from, and you make every, every practice of yours to, to keep yourself from any possibility of evil in, 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 her, um, in between a guy and a girl. Any kind of relationship you keep pure. And then you don't touch the glory. And I think that's the, the most important of the three. Because messing with the gold will pull you out of ministry. And messing with the girls will pull you out of ministry. But messing with the glory means you're messing with what's God's. And that's a dangerous place to be in. Just read Kings. <laughs> We've seen it time and time again on Sunday mornings. You don't mess with that. And so Paul is saying, I, I don't want to mess with that. I don't want... God gets all the glory. He's the one that produces the increase. So what am I? Servant leadership. It's a beautiful example of it. He goes on to say in verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. 
are one. They're the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. It's a reminder as we went back to the book of Acts and my theme in the book of Acts that we are on mission with God. You and I, as followers of Christ, He has invited us into His mission. And the way we say that is we have been co-missioned, commissioned we, to, to preach the news, to, to, to share the gospel, to make disciples. It's Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, going into all the world. You and I have been commissioned. He's inviting us on the journey. And so that's what he says in verse 9. We're God's fellow workers. We're, we're working with Him for His gain and for His glory, for His praise. The, the planter and the waterer are one. And he goes on to say some interesting insight. As you are planting, as you are watering, you will receive a reward for that. You're going to be rewarded for your labor. That day is coming when you, when you will see, receive reward for, for all that you have done. But it's not an issue of those that follow you. It's an, or an issue of the, the worldly wisdom. And God will judge those things. He's going to go on to say it here in just a couple of verses. Verse 10 says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no further foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the church's foundation, is Paul's, what Paul is saying. That's, that's where we began. That's the milk of the world, is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the basics. That's the beginning. Jesus would say, I am the chief cornerstone. He, the, the Psalms would say, He is our firm foundation. And anytime you would try to build on anything else, the Scriptures would call that sinking sand. And, and when the storm comes, and when, and when the tempest rises, that which you build will be washed away. But we stand on the foundation which is laid. He said, I did it as a wise master builder. I laid the foundation. And and I think that echoes back to chapter 2 when he said, I I came to you and I preached nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the foundation. And another builds on it. Yes, Apollos came in. I only stayed there for 18 months, Paul is saying. Somebody else had to come in and and, and be your shepherd. And so he he said, another comes and builds on it, but take heed. It's a good warning for me. As, as, as we are in transition and our pastor, our pastor Dave, laid a foundation here at this church for over 20 years. And the foundation he laid was not Dave Brown. It was Jesus Christ. And so he says to me, he says to us, take heed. Take heed on how you build. There is no other foundation that anyone can lay other than which is Jesus Christ. Now it says in verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, 
Each one's work will become clear. For the day, notice capital D there, the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now this is interesting insight, and we've got to remember that this is now speaking to believers. Yes, he called them carnal at the beginning, but still babes in Christ, speaking to believers. You're building on the foundation of God, and you're building up the church of God. And he's saying, there's, there's materials that you have at your disposal to build with. You're to take heed on what you build with, and the, and the materials that are available are gold and silver and precious stones. What's interesting about that precious stones, I always thought that meant like rubies and, and you know jewels. It doesn't here. Precious stones meaning granite and marble and, and that kind of precious stone. So th- those things we like to have in our kitchen now, right? Countertop. That type of precious stone. Those, you have those building materials, and then you also have wood and hay and stubble. And so, as he says, take heed what you build with. It's your choice. What, what do you want to build with? And what Paul is getting at here is he's saying, if you want to chase after the wisdom of the world, if you want to follow the course of the world, church, you're building with wood and hay and stubble because that's the best they got. God's wisdom is so much higher. God way, God's ways are so much higher. He's saying, why are you looking that way? Because you're going to use these as your materials to build on. Yes, it's on the foundation of Jesus Christ, but the best you're going to do is, is a mud hut. Or you can use the wisdom of God. You can use what's been given to you, what we learned about last week, the Spirit of God which dwells in your heart. That's your materials of gold and silver and precious stone. And if you use that to build on the foundation, then that will last because there's a day coming, a capital D day coming, when it will be tested by fire. It doesn't say that necessarily you will be tested by fire, but your deeds will be. So this is a, a, a judgment for believers to say you're going to present your works to a just and righteous God, and he's going to test those things with fire. And obviously, if you have built with wood and hay and stubble, what's going to happen? You're going to get burned up, and you're not going to take those things with you. They're going to end here. Or you have the gold and the silver and the precious stones that stand the test of fire. We'll see what sort of work it is. He says in verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. After it's gone through the fire, if there's something left, you'll receive a reward. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like. I would venture to guess to say it's probably a crown. And that crown is simply something we will return to Jesus' feet. It's not something you keep and tout and something that you have pride in. It's, it's, an, it's an object for you to worship your king with. But if it has endured, you will receive a reward. But if you choose to use the wisdom of this world, if you choose to use the um, wood, hay, and stubble, 
It says in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. There won't be the reward there, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. Yes, you're in heaven, but your clothes smell like smoke. You made it through, but there you don't have anything with you. Still a Christian. Just what are you what are we building with? He goes on to say in verse 16, now kind of changing the idea or or changing the focus even. Verse 16. I've wanted to do a study on the three sixteens of the scripture. There are so many good 316s. Obviously, John 316. But this one is this one is pretty cool. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? And that's what we talked about last week in chapter 2. That as Christians, as followers of Christ, as we've received Him, He has imparted to us the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper. Remember, in John, it says, I go and prepare a place for you. That there I am, there, or there, where I am, there you may also be. But I do not leave you alone. I, I come and, and, and or I will send the helper to you, the Spirit. And he dwells inside of us, is exactly what it says. Now we have become the temple of God. It is, we are the building. And the Spirit of God dwells in us. He says in verse 17, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which you are. You are holy. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You are holy. Don't defile that. That means when we wake up in the morning, that means when we get ready to go to work, that means when we consider where we want to go on Friday night or do what we want to do Whenever you take the Holy Spirit with you. May the Lord bring that to remembrance the next time you want to click. Or drink. Or spend unwisely. Or not speak when, you, when the, God is prompting you to. You carry the Holy Spirit with you. We do. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This goes back, and this has been the argument since chapter 1, verse 1. Why are you chasing after the things of the world? Why are you looking for the wisdom that is around you, church at Corinth? Become the fool. That's what most of the Greeks thought of Christianity. That's foolishness. Become the fool that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Can't say it any more plain than that. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. And so He's continually... That's the effort here in the first few chapters, trying to pull them out of the world, trying to to set their minds back on the foundation of Jesus Christ, trying to, to draw them back in. Therefore, let no one boast in men. There is no need for division. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Paul is saying, 
we don't make room for division in church. There is no camp of Apollos. There is no camp of Paul. There is no camp of Matt Chandler. We are all servants. We are all the bride of Christ serving one another. And if you have been elevated to a position of leadership in a church body, understand that is to be a servant. Gail Irwin wrote a wonderful book called The Jesus Style. And it is the idea that Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Now when He returns, He'll come to be served. Because He will be rightfully positioned as the King of kings and Lord of lords. But in His first coming, He came as the servant. He is the one that took the lowest of jobs just hours before His death. As, as, as I said on Sunday, I, I, don't, I can't fathom knowing what He knew that in, in, in mere hours that He would be dead, that He was able to sing a hymn of praise as He closed communion. And, and in just a few minutes after that, He's in the garden sweating drops of blood due to the intensity of the moment. If there be any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And just before He serves them the broken body and the shed blood, He takes off His clothes and He girds Himself in a towel. And he takes the lowest of low jobs. This was the bottom rung of the servanthood. And he washes the disciples' feet. That's our example. Church. Called to wash his feet. Wash their feet. Serve. Love. Paul's saying... Forget the divisions. Forget everything else. All for His kingdom. All for His glory. Build with gold. Build with silver. Build with precious stones. Stop chasing the wisdom of this world. That's what we're called to do. We'll press on and, and continue on in 1 Corinthians, but may the Lord pierce our hearts with this message tonight. Amen? Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Lord, it's when we humble ourselves before You that we can bring You the most glory. And so we recognize it's not by might nor by power. It's nothing that we bring to the table, O oh God, but it's by Your Spirit. So You say. And so Jesus, we ask for more of Your Spirit. Fill us to overflowing, God, that we might honor You and that we might serve others. We bow our hearts before You, O God. All of our days are for You, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>